It's Song Talk Radio. Welcome to Song Talk Radio. This is a show with songwriters talking to other songwriters about the craft of songwriting. We share tips, tools, and techniques, and together we all become better at writing songs. I'm your host, Neil Modi, and with me, my co-host, Phil Emery. How are you doing, Phil? I am very excited. Uh, the Spratt Emery household got uh, two new additions today. We got a couple of kittens. Mm-hmm. So uh, they have been slowly destroying our home, and our place <laughs> smells like cat poo now. So that's, oh, oh my goodness! So that's welcome, real fun. Welcome to the world of pet ownership. Good for uh, you. Yes. <laughs> Great. And uh, please send your comments and questions and uh, and cat poop cleanup tips to uh, song talk radio on twitter facebook or instagram or feedback at songtalk.ca for the email and we'll share your thoughts on the show and please visit songtalk.ca to see the show post for this episode to find links to things we mention and to download lyric and chord sheets to follow along with the songs we feature and before we get to uh, the meat of today's show, we uh, love getting uh, emails from our listeners, and we're happy that um, we got a couple of emails back uh, from our listener episodes for our songwriting challenge um, that um, has pretty much come to an end now, but uh, it's been going on for the last several months. Our, our challenge this year was to write a song based on the title, Why Do You Cry? And um, the the last episode we did of our listener songs, we uh, we had some replies um, after we published that episode um, from a couple of the songwriters who submitted um, songs for that episode. So we heard back from uh, Andy Van, and uh, Andy said, Hi, Neil and Phil. Thanks for featuring my song on your podcast and also for the feedback, which was great. I realized the chords I had included were misleading. The E and D were, were played on the top four strings as first inversion. I think that's right. So although the G sharp and F sharp were correct guidance for the guitar chord to play, they aren't really appropriate bass notes for the tonality, if that's the right word, of the song, which was around the D and E. <laughs> I don't know how much. I don't know how, how much that clears up the thing. But, uh, yeah. Uh, and he also said, uh, fair point about the title. Uh, I may go back and have another crack uh, at the whole thing now. Um, as it happens, although uh, Mira Chorik and I haven't met in person, I had contacted her as she runs a songwriters roundtable here on the Sunshine Coast in Australia. So it was great to hear her awesome song also featured. We have been swapping notes since. It turns out we both know the Burlington Lakeshore west of Toronto. Thanks again and look for, looking forward to next year's challenge. Cheers, Andy. Yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for the feedback, Andy. That's it's, great. It's cool that, uh, that we featured you, yours, and Mira's song on the same on the same episode. It was the uh, it was the Aussie the Aussie episode. That's right. That's right. And, uh, and speaking of Mira Chorik, uh, we heard back from her as well, and uh, she said hi, Neil and Phil. Uh, I love listening to the episode. Thank you so much. Listening to it, I had a bit of a rock star fantasy moment hearing my song played. I could pretend that a song of mine actually could actually be heard on the radio. <laughs> All the praise made me blush, especially Phil's comment on she knows what she's doing. I struggle with confidence and no matter how many songs I write, I never seem to grow in a sense of my own competence. And every song feels like I'm starting from scratch and I know nothing about songwriting at all. So it means a lot to hear that. Thank you. Sorry. Um, I'm curious about the... I'm curious about the question of the verse and pre-chorus being real all verse as the parts aren't contrasting enough to mark a shift from verse to pre-chorus. I'm looking forward to playing with changing the structure and seeing what this may do to the idea of what the song is and how the sections flow and fit together. 
I'm still sitting with the musical theater connection. It kind of freaked me out a bit. I'm keen to look at this more and understand how some of the musical or phrasing elements I've used may land in that way for listeners. If I did it, it was entirely by accident. He, he, he. So good to know what to avoid, perhaps if I don't want a song to be categorized as musical theater. Could you guys do an episode on writing songs for musical theater sometime? Not a bad idea, Mira. Um, and and just just to clarify that that bit that that was actually my comment about her melody construction, especially in her chorus, that that it kind of sounded like musical theater. I think what I really meant was it sounded kind of classical music because it had a very kind of up and up and down the scale kind of um, movement movement to the melody. So you know, take that for what it's worth, I guess. But but it's certainly not it's certainly not anything wrong with it. I just want to make that clear. <laughs> it, was, it was actually a really 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 cool, well developed melody. I thought. Um, and she goes on to say, um, I've renamed the song The Onion Bracket, Why Do You Cry? to make the layers and layers reference clearer and the I Might Make You Cry bit. Finally, I love the suggestion to record both potential endings and sit with it for a while to give it time to listen from a distance. Super helpful. Thank you so much for the prod to write the song. I never would have it never would have existed if you haven't taken the time to reach out and ask me to ponder the prompt, why do you cry? I've had a ball listening to everyone's songs and all the different approaches every songwriter took, inspiring and educational. Awesome, Mira. Uh, thank you so thank much you for so me. Mira. That's great. Now, we are actually still getting submissions. <laughs> to, yeah. <laughs> um, Technically. <laughs> so I think we have to stop eventually just because we will get on to the next challenge. I think we should probably yeah. do that sooner rather than later. I'm thinking. Yeah, I, I think, I think, I think you're probably right about that, but it's still great to get <laughs> everyone sending in their songs. Fantastic. Well, it's tough because some people listen to the podcast and they may not listen to a, to an episode for a few weeks. So yeah. if we say it's done in one month and then you hear like two days before the submission date. I don't know. Yeah. We should figure out some way of, um, of doing this. But uh, if you're still... Time travel. We just need to do yes. time travel. That's true. <laughs> but if you are still sending songs in for the song challenge, we will listen to it and we will give you some feedback just by email. How's that? I think that's a great Because we do appreciate yeah. the fact that you went to it. And um, it's nice to get feedback on our on our songs, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And so it's amazing how, like Mira was saying, all the different approaches and... Oh yeah, little different twists and turns. This whole journey's taken has been has been really fun and, and awesome. So we thank everyone who submitted their songs and everyone who who listened to those episodes because they they are it is very instructive and very interesting and educational. In fact, to hear you know different answers to the same question, it's kind of a cool kind of a cool thing. There's very few times when you are songwriting because we tend to either work by ourselves or working with someone else, and we're all kind of working on the same end. You don't. It's it's rare to hear people, totally different people, sort of working in parallel and coming up with totally different solutions. It's mm. it's so fascinating, and it helps you understand your own process a bit more. I think. I, I think I think for sure that, that that was what's illuminating for me, at least, is is more revelation about my own the way I write songs and the way that I approach things and how in the future, how I'll approach things. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Very cool. All righty then. Okay. Um, tonight we're, we're happy to have a uh, singer songwriter, Matt Zaddy with us. And here's a taste of his song, a dear friend. Up, 
time to least expect Thoughts and words and deeds Or in a sermon I forget Trying not to take it all for granted Haven't yet Who'd have thought we'd be without regret And I know sometimes I can't recall Exactly what was said Dear friend, and I hope you know I cherish all the years With a sound that seamlessly blends folk rock and modern soul, there's something for every music fan to love about singer-songwriter Matt Zaddy. A storyteller at heart, his music is filled with tales of life, love, hardship, and redemption. As someone who has shared stages with a diverse array of artists, including Kanon, Francesco Yates, and Canadian rock legends Tom Cochran and Jim Cuddy, Matt Zaddy's intention is to connect with as many listeners as possible, regardless of any genre restrictions. During the pandemic, Matt Zaddy focused on live-streamed and pre-recorded concerts, music education, content creation in partnership with the Guitar Shop Canada, and socially distanced live performances where permitted. He also has hosted virtual online events for artists in his community and participated as an educator in seminars on arts, entrepreneurship, and home performance. Welcome to Song Talk Radio, Matt Zaddy. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Great to have you on the show. And um, you're, you're, you're talking about um, community building. You're, you're, you're based in Mississauga, just outside Toronto. Is that right? Yes, sir. That's right. How, how is the music scene out in Mississauga? Uh, it is diverse. We have, uh, it's one of those things that Mississauga, I don't know how much Mississauga is actually known for things, but it is, I believe, the sixth biggest city in Canada. So we have, yeah. and it is a very culturally diverse area. So we have music um, from all over the world um, in multiple languages all the time. Like I hear music in Urdu, I hear music in Spanish and Portuguese and English and French and German. Uh, it's mm -hmm. one of those things that there is such um, a wide diversity of artists in our city. And there are a handful of places, especially in the last few years that have really helped to cultivate the grassroots music in our, in our city. Not to mention the fact that there are some very large artists that have come out of here as well, that I'm sure serve as, as quite the inspiration. Right on. Yeah, it's certainly it's certainly growing. And there there are some great venues and great like even park like public spaces and stuff to play in, like Celebration oh, yeah. Square and all the rest of it. Like the, really... the city of Mississauga in the last number of years has really partnered very well with um both local and larger talent for a bunch of different uh music series. Uh, we also have a couple of not-for-profits in the city, which do a lot of great work to really shine the light on that. We have a, a Mississauga Arts Council. And there's also an organization called Mississauga Music, which I'm fortunate enough to be on the board for, which works very closely with the culture division of Mississauga to try to spotlight the talent within our city. Right on. So that, yeah. um, getting to your songwriting process, are, uh, how do you start off a song? Are you a music um, first person, lyric first person, do it at the same time? Everyone is different, honestly. It's true. Um, I find, so I, I have some songs where I had a melody in my head before I had anything. Um, I have some songs where something has happened in my life and I'll get a lyrical, uh, a lyrical idea. I find that usually happens when I'm driving, which is very unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to pull the car over and scribble it down. Or these days, what I'll do is I will just press record 
on a device and just kind of rant until my heart or my head says stop and then go back later and 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 put it together um now musically i find this this is something that that that, that i find is super cool um a lot of the time musically i'll get ideas when i'm working out arrangements of other people's music when i'm teaching and something some happy accident will happen but i really did think it's just that the ideas come with time spent on the instrument mm. more than mm -hmm. anything else um the other thing i find sometimes as far as the writing process is i don't stick to one instrument sometimes i will write at my piano sometimes i'll write at my guitar sometimes i'll write with the ukulele in my hands um a lot of it really depends on, on what i'm feeling and sometimes i'll have an idea on one instrument and i will go to the next one in fact that's exactly what i did with that little intro lick for a dear friend the ba -da, ba -da, da -da, da. I was playing it on guitar and I loved it on guitar, but I said I I, I heard it in my head kind of like a Bruce Hornby sort of thing. Like, you know, like the that's just the way it mm -hmm. is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. With a little like with the with the bra da bra da 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 and I I went over to my piano and I said, Oh, this has got to start with piano doing that lick. <laughs> right on. Yeah. That's, that's yeah, you certainly cool. do um get a it's amazing how a piece of music can change when you go from one instrument to another. Oh, um, totally. Yeah. Totally. Just, yeah. There's that song, one of my favorite songs by um, uh, one of my favorite uh, songwriters, Neil Finn uh, of mm -hmm. Crowded House. Yeah. And he wrote, um, Don't Dream It's Over. Mm -hmm. um, and he actually, uh, it, to me, which sounds like very much like a guitar. Um, it really does. Yeah. Yeah. But he actually wrote it on piano. Really? Um, and he wrote it because he was annoyed that uh, he was trying to work on music and they had a whole bunch of uh, um, company showing up. Um, and if you look at the lyrics now, you kind of go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> but it's, it's interesting, something that sounds so guitarish. You know, um, it's, funny, it's funny you say that because I actually like taking piano songs and arranging them for guitar. Like I have this really kicking arrangement of Rich Girl by Hall & Oates that I, ah. I, I turned into a, into a fingerstyle uh, um, a guitar arrangement. So, um, in, for, for a long time, because just based on the guitarist history, there's a lot of music that was, you know, some other kind of instrument that could do chordal stuff like a harpsichord or a piano. A lot of that music has been taken to guitar. Um, some mm -hmm. of the most famous, uh, Bach pieces for harpsichord, uh, were transcribed to guitar. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot, there's a composer that I really, really like, um, named Albanez, who's, uh, uh, some of the best stuff for classical guitar was written for piano and i i have a i have a memory when i first learned to play this one of these very famous songs that has two names either asturias or, or leyenda depending on what you've heard that one's like it's a very very famous song mm. and i and my, one of my high school music teachers had to play that song on xylophone because she was a percussion major and because it has the same layout as a piano she had to do it with four mallets to be able to pull it off <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> Which is so cool, right? <laughs> I've seen people do that. I don't know how they do that. I love it. It's it's like this weird kind of push and pull thing you do with your fingers to change the 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 distance between the two mallets. I love it. It's it's yeah. just to me, it's like sorcery. <laughs> it's, it's I've often heard, especially from singer songwriters whose primary instrument is the guitar, and the piano is very much secondary to them, that when they hop on the piano something really different comes out like some like it's not it's not a matter of i played this on guitar and i want to hear it what it, the same melody on piano but they just try to compose on the piano and something really pure and simple comes out whereas if they jump onto their primary instrument the guitar it can sometimes get maybe too complicated or maybe I, too busy yeah. or maybe too do you, do you have a do you have a do you have a, a not a favorite necessarily but are you more proficient on one or the other 
I've played piano for longer, but I haven't worked on it as hard as I have on guitar. I'm definitely uh, a better guitar player. Um, I teach piano a lot because I have a good, you know, theoretical knowledge of it. But mm -hmm. I, I sit down at the piano to challenge myself sometimes because I can play I'm, on guitar. I can, I can, you know, improvise and I can, you know, change my voicings on the spot. On piano, because I was more classically trained than jazz trained, I, I, have to, I, I work at that a fair amount. <laughs> but I find on piano, because it's a linear instrument, yeah, your ideas tend to come a little bit simpler than it does on an instrument like guitar, just because mm -hmm. it's layered differently. Huh. Yeah, and it has the um, it has like the bass and and the uh, the treble kind of separated. I think you know with the left and right hands, it certainly does with me. But I I actually play piano like because um, I didn't know how to play piano, so I just took guitar chords and put them on piano. So um, I just have, you know, I do like the like a root and then a fifth on the left hand, and then well, chords honestly, on the top, a lot, a lot of what the left hand does in a piano, depending on what register that you're playing, it is going to be roots, fifths, octaves, maybe a yeah. root and a seventh if you're getting a little closer to middle C, just because the lower you get, the, the you know the muddier it's going to get. The muddier you're not going to do much more sure. than that anyway. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Like the brightness in your voicings is all, and you know that you know the depth of color is always going to typically lean more into the right hand or into the treble clef just because you know you can put you know the one two three and the six beside each other in the treble clef and it'll sound great you do that in the bass clef and it'll sound yeah, it's true actually <laughs> which is a shame because it's sometimes it's fun as a bass player to do kind of wacky uh intervals but oh, very I love often it, it can like, be i find with bass players when they do that they just have to turn their bass down to zero <laughs> 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 like i love doing like like some of my favorite bass players play cool chordal stuff but they typically will do it far further up the register. Yeah. And they will also, it's like, what was your bass at when you played that zero? Where were your high mids at? Ah, about eight. <laughs> <laughs> so what was your um, journey into learning about how to write songs? Because you started off classically, right? Mm -hmm. Well, yes and no. Um, I, I think I started writing a song from almost the first time I picked up a guitar. And as a kid playing, I started playing piano when I was five or six and guitar when I was 13. And I have mm -hmm. memories. Um, writing songs instrumental songs uh, when i was eight or nine years old and i i had a you know a decent a, a reasonable understanding of theory so i was starting to write them out by hand because there was no software that i knew of then that could do it and i don't even think i had a computer at that age <laughs> <laughs> um so i i up until even the last five years i did all my charting by hand um when i was a teenager and i picked up a guitar i, I still remember the first riff that i wrote it's it's like ingrained in my skull Lyrically, I think I was just like a lot of teenagers just trying to figure out life. And I started writing lyrics to the songs. And, you know, my generation, we listened, you know, I was an Alice in Chains and a Soundgarden guy. So it was, mm -hmm. you know, dark and, um, you know, alt-rocky. <laughs> um, <laughs> angsty. Yeah, angsty. Yeah, there was definitely some of that. And as and I, I, I ended up getting very, very heavy into the metal and hardcore. So it definitely got angstier and more <laughs> aggressive. <laughs> um but uh, I think it was in me to do. I uh, Songwriting was something that came out of me whether I wanted it to or not. And I mm -hmm. find I'm a better person when I do it because I'm, I'm taking the thoughts that are in me and I'm taking the emotions that are in me and I'm channeling them into something. Mm. So I find that doing it for me is a necessary part of my life. Are you writing every day? No, um, I find a lot of what I, uh, when I write, it's, it's a combination, it's usually four circumstances of when I write. I would love to be writing every day. Life just seems to get in the way sometimes. <laughs> um, I, I know a lot of people during the pandemic wrote like crazy. I didn't because I, 
Um, I didn't qualify for CERB or any of the, the, the things there. So what I did was I ramped up my, my teaching like crazy to the point where I was doing, uh, at the height of the pandemic, like 60 private lessons a week. Oh, that's wow. emotionally, it's, it's emotionally and intellectually exhausting. So I didn't have any yeah. juice left to write with. Yeah. Certainly, certainly that. But um, your, your current stuff is certainly not as angsty as you described maybe, you know, that you were writing years ago. Was that, was that a switch or was that kind of a gradual change? Well, I was going to say with age comes wisdom, right? <laughs> well, I found, um, I still actually have a, I still, you know, write metal when, 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 the, when the vibe is there. Oh. But my perspective is different from when I was younger. When I was younger and I was writing really, really aggressive, angular, dissonant music, it was sort of just um, very stream of consciousness writing where it was just kind of flowing out of me. Mm -hmm. um, with what I'm writing now, I find a lot of it is um, almost like an internal dialogue where I'm sort of figuring out what's going on in my life and sort of exploring things a little bit more introspectively. Um I always listened to and wrote music like I do now, even when I was doing mostly metal and hardcore, it's just that you can only do so many projects well at a time. And if you take on too many, then it's just one of those things where the art will suffer. Mm. So in my case, um, I, I, you know what, because with the last major band I was in, it was in the metal side of things. It was, I, you know, I was, I was not only, you know, the, 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 the main songwriter, but I was also our booking agent, our manager. I negotiated our record deal. I booked our tours. Like it was, it was a lot. And, um, it just, you, I didn't, I didn't have anything left. Now, when that, when that project ended, I actually didn't, had no idea what I was going to do. I thought I was going to write a solo metal record, but I had an acoustic guitar in my hands a lot. I was hosting a couple of local, like open mic night type events. And these songs just started flowing out of me. All these thoughts about what I had done in the last 10 years and where my life had been had really become, uh, it, it, you know, I, I, I had something to say. And that's what my first record became was, was, was very much that. I want to ask about you about how, uh, with your classical background, this might sound a bit odd, but how are you notating your songs? Like you say, you actually write them out. I'm really stupid because I don't write anything out. I keep it all in my head, which means if I fall down and hit my head, I'm screwed. But so, but you had mentioned that you write it down. Are you actually writing it? You know, like, are you notating it, or are you just doing like lyrics with? chords on top or typically if like like for my bandmates i write lead sheets so it'll have i don't typically write out the vocal melodies for them it'll just be um i'll have some kind of a recording uh that i'm doing or uh that, that will accompany a lead sheet as a reference um um or um it will have if there's a specific melody i want somebody to play i will put it into the chart like when i wrote out the the chart for a dear friend which i'm happy to send you guys by the way i notated out um, that piano melody going, but just, just what the right hand is doing. Cause the left hand, I, you know, I would use, you know, um, I guess it would have been, um, if I think about what it would have been, it would have been B flat, uh, F over a G minor 11 to an F, you know what I mean? In terms of the progression going down, it's kind of like a bum, 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 with the bass yeah. line and then, you know, chord and then quarterly where, where it, it seemed to work well with the melody. That was actually the first, part that i wrote for the song was that that little riff there mm. so when when you say when you say a leech like you're actually writing like on on staff like yeah for for piano oh, and then for guitars you would write it in tablature or whatever 
Uh, no, I wouldn't. I, I, I'm the only guitar player in my band, so I okay. don't write out my parts like that. Um, I, uh, when I would write these out, what I would end up doing is I, I would write it out more like a lead sheet fashion. So it's more just like a, like, like the chords listed with the structure of the song. In mm -hmm. fact, I can probably actually, if you guys like, I could even bring up the lead sheet so you can see what it looks like. Yeah, sure. Let me flip this camera around and I'll show you. So when my <laughs> when my band is looking at this, they are. I'll try to get it so so it works well with the with with the with the window size as well here. But when my band is looking at it, that's oh, wow, what they're looking at. That. Wow, the dots and flags, cool. You got time changes in there. I didn't even notice that. Yeah, the intro is so smooth. You don't notice that the time change is happening there when it does the brat da da. Oh. Um, but when, when I was in the studio with my uh, with my uh, producer, we decided is like, you know what, that sounds really cool with a beat cut. That was one of those things that it felt so natural to do. Huh. We just did it. But if you listen to the outro where the guitar plays the melody, instead of it just going, it'll go, and it'll kind of complete the melody. Okay. Whereas in the intro, it felt so natural to cut the beat. It was just something we both kind of agreed on. I said, oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. I also come from a background of odd, of odd, odd, um, odd time, time signatures with the music that I write. Like for the metal that I wrote, it was very prog metal, angular, dissonant stuff that where a song could have, you know, 15 different time signatures in it. Mm. So, so after you wrote that little ditty on piano, guitar, whatever, um, what, what was, what's, what was the next step with that? Do you then shift gears and, and think about the lyrical content or do you finish writing like a chord progression or, what, what what's usually the next step because th th that's historically been been the thing like i've got you know a library full of these little snippets of musical bits from years ago that that's kind of where it stopped i mean i don't do that anymore but you know, <laughs> oh, in, in I, oh I get it that's, 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 that's always, that, that's always that, the case that, that, that all sounds like very familiar territory yeah. uh, with this song i wrote that little da, 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 which can me kind of felt sort of james taylory you know what i mean that was sort mm -hmm. of the vibe that i got from that and I was I was actually in the middle of recording this album and I wanted to come in with a few more songs. So I sat down with this one little notebook that a friend of mine gave me, you know, 20 years ago that I scribble in whenever I have lyrical ideas. And I was thinking about the friends that I didn't see as often anymore. <laughs> and I picked up my guitar and the chord progression. What, when I hear this chord progression, it actually reminds me of that that Elton John song, your song, because it has that, you know, it has the, uh, you know, the. Um, uh, what do you call it? The uh, it has the dominant, but I played it on the third beat, so it feels like it's going to the relative minor when it goes to the sixth. Then, hmm. so a um, uh, the, the term for it is escaping me right now. It is um, uh, oh, uh, uh, no, it's like uh, well, I mean, it, it ends up feeling like a five one in, in, the, in the relative minor, but the the word for hmm. it when you use a dominant in the place that isn't on the fifth, I forget just the term for it is escaping <laughs> me right now. <laughs> I'm sure someone out there, one of our listeners will let us know. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure somebody's screaming it right now. Yeah, exactly. uh, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I'm actually typing it into my search engine here because it's gonna bother me. The whole, the whole <laughs> it's gonna, it's gonna bother me. Um, it's 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 like it's like it's like a, like a dominant substitution where you can use the dominant in different places um, where it'll feel better. Like you know, like you'll have sometimes you'll be on the root and then you'll turn the root into like a five into like a like a like a dominant seventh chord and you go to the fourth and it feels very natural because going from when you when you have that on the root um, with uh, as a dominant seventh chord it makes it feel like the five and then when you're going to the four it makes you feel like like you're going to uh, to the root of what the, if the four was the root. Is that like an inverse harmony or a, remember, remember I told you about this, Phil, about that, about that pyramid, the, the, the oh, yeah. music theory, um, music theory iceberg 
oh, video yeah. on YouTube. And he talked about negative harmony. Negative harmony was the term that he used for like a substituted cadence. Or yeah, Interesting. a substituted yeah. dominant to, to bring yeah. it back. Yeah, I, I, the, the term itself is, is it's going to come to me in the middle of this call and I'm just going to blurt it out. It's just, okay. I'm having like a like like a like a, a a brain fart moment here, if you will. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, you're talking about that and you use that in in the song that's coming up, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah. In, in, in a dear friend, like when, what I do is because normally, you know, if you're playing diatonically, the third is a minor chord. Yeah. But I turned the third into a dominant seventh chord, and then when it goes to the sixth, that's what it would do. If because the sixth is the, is the relative minor, it's it's uh, you're 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 changing the harmony slightly so that it it, it makes it a little bit more interesting than just staying within the key. What uh, can you remember? What line that you did that on? So people can listen. Trying not to take it off for granted and haven't yet. Okay, so that part. So when we're listening to that, uh, try to pay attention to that little bit of uh, musical theory and see if you can identify it. Right, Basically, I'm doing an A7 chord where there should be an A minor chord. Right. Okay. And then when you go to the D minor, uh, because the, you know the A7 to the D minor sounds like a five one in the key of D minor, um, but you know it's not like there's a C sharp in F major. So. Oh, cool. So it's yeah, it's right. it's a very common musical device. Like if you took a song like yeah, yeah. Um, "I'm Not the Only One" by Sam Smith, I think he does that in the key of E or F. And if, let's just take it as F, just so I can use it in the same example. It would be F A seven D minor B flat. So the third is normally, if you're going diatonically, you know, minor, you know, major minor minor major major minor diminished, or if you're doing you know major seven minor seven minor seven major seven dominant seventh minor seventh half diminished. So the third is normally a minor chord or a minor seventh chord, depending on how you voice it. But if you do it as a dominant seventh chord, it goes very naturally to the sixth, which because it feels like a five one in, in the in the in the minor key, oh, cool. in the relative minor. So is, is that sort of a move? Does that come naturally to you? You're just strumming your guitar, or is that something you actually have to think about theoretically? It, uh, I don't think about it theoretically. I think about it musically. Um, right. I, I, there are a handful of ways that I would typically change key within a song. Um, and uh, that's one of the more common ways to do it. And it's really just a very quick thing. Like you can do it in multiple places where it can feel natural, the same way that you can use diminished chords as transitional chords if you want to do like some kind of a chromatic progression. Um, uh, I, I tend to listen to music which steps out of the key a lot. Mm -hmm. um, that's not to say that it's always necessary, but it's the same way of having a large vocabulary. You use the right word at the right time. So I, I look at it as just some, it's just another tool to add to what you're trying to say. Yeah. Uh, I, I very much think of music as a language. And that to me would be, um, you know, just another metaphor that you can use. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I know exactly what you mean because it's, it's I'm, a, I'm a big fan of that in listening and in writing um, as sure. well. But I think... I think sometimes I think about it theoretically, but I, I, I'm a piano player, so I just kind of hit the other chord, and I know it's out of key, but I like the way it sounds. So I don't know, you know, precisely what the term would be for that necessarily. Sure, but, yeah. You know, you just you're, you're leading by your by your ear and and by your experience, and sure, if it sounds good. It is, you know. Yeah. I was going to say, music has been around long enough that I mean, for pretty much every kind of chord change that you can think of, unless you're doing something that's drastically chromatic, yeah. someone has thought of it and somebody has a name for it. Like it's the same way <laughs> that we have names for all the animals, and then when we find a new animal, we name it. Right? Yeah, it's yeah. true. So. Yeah. But for all of the, all of the different ways that we're going to describe these, I mean, ultimately, 
we're just giving it a label so that we can communicate the idea. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't care what you call it as long as it sounds good, right? Well, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, why don't we take a listen to it now and then we'll yeah. uh, talk a bit more about it. Cool. Sure. Let's do it. Here we go. Shows up the times least expect. The thoughts and words and deeds are in a sermon I forget. Trying not to take it all for granted and haven't yet. Who'd have thought we'd be without regret? And I know sometimes I can't recall exactly what was said. simple phrase that I said to her dear friend And I hope you know I cherish all the years and times we've spent And you know that I still miss you and the world we have shared And I'm sure you know I wish you all the best life ahead And that you'll still be in the end Whoa. Though we don't see each other As often as we've guessed Life being the way it is Who has time for friends But when we are together It feels like no time has passed We can pick up right there Where we left and I know sometimes amidst it all I falter and forget Simple phrase that I said to her dear friend And I hope you know I cherish all the years and times we've spent And you'll know that I still miss you and the world that we have shared And I'm sure you'll know I wish you all the best of life ahead And that you'll still be And I'm sure you'll know I wish you all the best 
life ahead and that you'll still be here with me in the end What a great tune. Thank you very much. Yeah, I I switched off the screen there for a split second because I was looking up that term. It's called a secondary dominance. Secondary (laughs) dominance. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, it's where you use the dominance in a place to naturally lead the chord progression in a specific direction, which will typically make it go down a fifth or up a fourth. So it feels like you're doing a 5-1 because for whatever reason, our ears respond the most to 5-1 chord changes. That's just our ears just want to hear that. It's the most popular chord change in Western music. And if you put a five chord somewhere, you will always be able to go with to whatever will be the, the one, you know, a perfect fifth away from that. Um, down or a perfect fourth above it always and it will always sound correct yes. yeah so um you know if you if you were on the route and you wanted to go to the fourth but you wanted it to feel a little bit more interesting you know if you're playing a c play, play a c dominant seventh chord and then go to that go to that f chord it, it just feels mm. like it should be that way <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. The, the pull is so strong it's just yeah. exactly like it's just pulling you in that direction and um, a lot of the great songwriters that I like use a lot of secondary dominance. Like I, I'm, a, I'm. There's, you know, like if you were to take them, like Paul Simon or someone like Elton John or someone like Billy Joel um, or um, any of the really good like folk writers in general, I find that that that's a very it's it's a very common tool that is just so effective. You just gotta do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and it, it is very smooth, right? Yeah, that's it. It doesn't feel like a massive amount of dissonance that's going on. No. Or, it's or like it's like it's like oh there's no you know obviously there's no C sharp in, in an F major but you know it is it can feel very natural if you do it in a certain way because our ears are also drawn to the relative minors of various keys so you know if you play into the relative minor you're fine it's why a lot of the time if you're playing in a minor key you can get away with having the flat seven or having the natural seven just because both of them can feel very natural. Mm-hmm. So can, can you talk can, a little it, bit about can you talk a little bit about the progression from the verse to the core for the pre-chorus to the chorus, especially with in terms of keys or chords, like because there's there's a bit there, there is there is a lift to the chorus. It it kind of it kind of takes off. Um, yeah. very nice. And and the and the pre-chorus ends up in a different place. Um and especially the th- we were talking about the third line of your verse before we played the song, but I'm I'm finding the third line of your chorus to be a really interesting chord change i don't know if it's the same sort it's of, the same chord change it's the same secondary <laughs> dominant type of thing because that's a really i mean it, yeah. it, it is it is noticeable but yeah and it, it's smooth and it's clean and it's and it's you know and, and it's yeah really it's it's actually the exact same secondary dominant i'm doing an a7 to the d minor seven there so okay. it's it's the same at least, I, at least i believe i am is my brain working right give me a second here check your lead yeah. <laughs> yeah well i'm just i'm just i'm like because because when i played on guitar I wrote it in a in the position for D major, but that didn't work best for my voice. So we we experimented moving it around the capo around the neck because mm. the voicing sounded right like that, 
but it was too low for my voice. We ended up finding, mm. you know, three semitones up seemed to work the best. That's why it ended up in F. Like mm. I wrote it in D position and thinking in like a, a D major position for guitar, but F was the key that suited my vocal range. But you, you, you sang it in D when you wrote it in D? Well, yeah, but I mean, that doesn't mean that I can perform it nearly as well. Sonically, it feels better in F in my voice. Okay, fair enough. So in my head, I'm 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 uh, transposing when I'm talking to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I mean, if I'm looking at the chart, I can say, oh yeah, that's totally an A7 to a D minor seven. But in my brain, I'm thinking I'm thinking F sharp seven to B minor right, seven. Right, 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 right. So, yeah. so is is the the chord progression in the chorus as the same as it is in the verse then? Uh, not entirely. No, it's okay. similar. Uh, but there. It, but that that secondary dominant is the same. Like in the chorus, uh, the chorus actually has a very similar chord progression to the intro. Uh, it's like okay. the B flat, F over A, G minor seven, and then to an F chord. Um, and then there's also there's a little kind of like dun 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 dun. There's almost like a walking bass where we made uh, we made a little two five one a two five one and then a one over three to to make that progression work work right. Um, in the in the in the second time through the, the 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 chord change in the chorus, and the third time we do the B flat to an F over A, and then we do the secondary dominant A seven to D minor seven. Mm -hmm. um, so there, the the chord the chord progressions in this song minus the pre-chorus because it is noticeably different. Yeah. The verse and intro, the verse and the chorus share a lot, but there's enough differentiation in there where they feel different. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, for your chorus, just you know, regardless of the theory of um, musical theory, your chorus still needs to have generally a lift. I think people like to have fifths. I mean, there is we should do a show actually on choruses that actually have a drop because some of them do have drops. But yeah. I think most people, especially modern, that they want you to have a lift on the chorus. Yeah. You know? I was going to say a very good example of a chorus that drops is Hallelujah, Leonard Cohen. Mm. Yes. Like that, and, and like it can work. It just typically doesn't. No. <laughs> yeah. Like most choruses are, are 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 you know higher point. Are, you know, um, not not necessarily the highest point because you know that may come in the bridge. Yeah. Um, but um, you know, it is is a much higher point than the verses, and it's got to be. It, it, I agree with you one hundred percent. Like it it can work without it, but it's not always. You know, it it it, it doesn't work as often. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a little bit. It's more of a challenge, and it's not to say that you can't. Do it. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't try, but I think you know sometimes yeah. people will do things because they know it's going to work. Yeah, it, I, it was it was funny actually. I was I was on holidays with my wife this summer, and one of the things that we we did while we were away was she was reading one of these books written by the, one of these guys that writes, you know, really, you know, he's, he's a songwriter for a living. So a lot of the time. Um, you're going to have these things that you know that will always work and you can experiment outside of them. But it's the same way that I don't approach typically my songwriting with theory in mind. But if I'm stuck, I'll go into that. I'll go into the toolbox. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. We, yeah. we talked about um, a while back on the podcast, talked about Penny Lane, um, Beatles Penny Lane. And that that's a that's an example where the chorus lifts, but the key change is like it, it steps down a semitone or something like that. Yeah. In, in and the course, uh, so. there, there's actually a lot, a lot of out there about um, directions of chord changes in terms of if they tend to get brighter or darker in terms yeah. of the direction you're going. And a lot of people would say, depending on the direction of the cycle of fifths you're going in, yeah. if you're changing keys, it can make something sound brighter or darker. Yes. 
Well, that's a good point, actually. We, yeah, yeah, we, we we talked about that. We we did a we did a whole show on the circle of fifths a while back, and we, and we cool. talked specifically about that. Where the especially if you want your the bridge the examples we use, the bridge was much brighter, and it, and in both examples, it was going to a sharper key signature. Yeah, and that, and that's and that's exactly what you would expect, one hundred percent. Speaking of bridges, um, although you have certainly a dynamic break, you don't actually have a bridge bridge, I don't think, do you? Yeah, you have a solo. Not in the, not in this song. Actually, this one was a funny one. I remember when I brought this song to my producer, I didn't even have a pre-chorus when I went in with this. I oh. had a really strong verse and a really strong chorus and a nice little instrumental bit. And what the bridge basically is an elaboration on the intro in this mm. song. But I ended off on a much darker sound. Like there's that that diminished chord sound at the end there. It's like a I have it notated as a C7 flat nine over D flat. Ah. <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> but but it's it's like when you listen to it, it sounds like like it's supposed to be a point of tension. That was right. the idea of it was to bring the song up to that point and then bring it back into the verse. That was is the that, idea. Is that is that the moment just before the quiet verse? Yeah, like where you hear the three-part harmony that's like, Ooh. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. That's right before it goes back into the third verse where the words go, no, just no, I won't forget you. And we also yeah. brought the instrumentation way down there in the yeah, arrangement nice. as well. So it's mostly just guitar coming back in. Which really, I mean, which serves sort of the way like a, like a bridge was, you know, a bridge would. It, it kind of cleanses the palate, then it sets it up for your, your you know, your big end chorus. Totally. Yeah, I'm with you, you on that 100%. Do, you know. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's a great tune. Did you go through a bit of a journey like learn, when you're writing this in terms of discovering anything or is it just sort of using your tools that you've known all these years? I, I find that the writing process in general is a journey for me. When I think about the songs that were the last ones that I wrote for this record, almost all of them were the ones that were the most well-received. So I think that my writing actually progressed through the album. Now, I liked them all, but I liked them all for different reasons and for different things about them. But the last three or four songs that I wrote on it, three of the most popular songs on the record were the last ones I wrote. Um, and this was one of the ones near the tail end of the session that I had finished up. Hmm. Which is kind of cool. What do you think it is about these ones that have resonated? I think I'm finding my, my groove or my style as a songwriter a little bit better. I think um, there is a bunch of tunes on the record, like some of them tend to tend to lean more into like a folk feel or folk rock feel. Some of them tend to lean more into a rhythm and blues feel. And um, I have had a, a, the, the ones that tend to go over better are not one or the other. It's just a matter of the feel of the song. So I think, I think in general, more than anything else, I think I just, when I was in this session with the producer I was working with, we found a really good groove and it led the writing in a natural direction. Mm. What was it about working with a producer that that convinced you the pre-chorus was, was a good idea for the song then? Uh, a lot of the time I find most most songwriters would do well to work with a producer because they're coming to it objectively and they can challenge you to make the songs better. Like I've worked with some producers that just say, yep, we just want to get, you know, make sure everything is heard as well as possible. Right. But I like the kind of producers who will challenge you to improve your writing. And the last producer I worked with, his name is Ross Citrullo. Uh, he runs a studio called uh, RHC, RHC Music in Toronto. Um, he challenged me in the best way possible. And it was interesting because by the end of our sessions, we were both so on the same page. He's like, yeah, I wouldn't change a damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, um, yeah. It, but it made me a better writer because he, 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 he made me contemplate things I would not have otherwise considered. You know, the whole two heads are better than one thing. 
Yeah, for sure. And and, and, and production is a skill set. Songwriting is a skill set, but um, most of the time, the versions of songs that you that 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 are started out, especially for anything close to mainstream or or close to a, like a higher value production, aren't the the start of it. The way it started out is nowhere near the way that it finished. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like if you listen to like someone like John Mayer talk about the process of where those where some of those songs started and where they ended up is very different. Like um, I was um, I remember I was watching an interview he did where he was talking about the song Daughters, which is an acoustically led song. It wasn't when it started. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. So, you know, things can change over time in terms of what feels right. And sometimes people will write, you know, two or three different arrangements of a song to an experiment for an experiment to see what feels best for the tune. I'm sure that we've all heard renditions of songs that we liked better than the originals. All along the Watchtower is a great example. Yeah. Um, a lot of people would argue that, um, you know, I mean, uh, if, if you want to think of like 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 something something a little bit more modern, um, Marilyn Manson redoing "Sweet Dreams," very oh, different take on that song, mm. but so cool. No, I yeah. hated it. <laughs> but that's I okay. loved it personally. Like, I, I love I love both versions. But how about this one? Did you ever hear how a perfect circle took that song, took Imagine, and put it in a minor key? Oh no, no, I haven't heard about it. That. Is, it is so haunting. It is yeah, haunting. I would imagine it would be. <laughs> yeah, and, but it it worked, and it worked in such a, a way that it changed the landscape of the song that it felt like it was the theme music to the apocalypse, mm. as opposed to the theme music for you know for hope. For hope, yeah, yeah, you'd think. Well, and of course, the famous story is of Midnight Train to Georgia. It was actually written as Midnight Plane to Houston uh, <laughs> because he was because he was actually writing it about uh, Farrah Fawcett. He was going out with Farrah Fawcett at the time. And like, what a terrible title for a song. Like, it doesn't like said, sound, but it yeah. made sense to him. Well, it's one of those things that's typically you only see that you only see the final uh, the final version, yeah. right? Yeah. It's like it's like it's like you don't see the painter's duds. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Yeah, you know you don't see the many many drafts and the many yeah. many versions. Yeah. And, and, and it's interesting too because lyrically, when I write, a lot of the time what I write is closer to prose than anything mm-hmm. else. And then to make it work for the song, you have to serve the song. And you know what? Some lyrics ain't gonna make it. No matter how good they were, if you were reading it on a piece of paper, that doesn't mean it's going to work in the song. You have to serve the song. Yeah, it has to be has to has to sing well and it has to. Have yeah, the a phonetics have to be. Everything. Yeah, the phonetics have to be right for melody. Otherwise, it's 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 no good. Yeah. Well, and it's something I've always told, you know, in my own discussions with friends is that, you know, there's a long time where there's people who wrote songs. There's people who wrote lyrics and they got together and they wrote these, you know, these songs and they put them out. They didn't perform them. They just sat in these rooms like Tin Pan Alley and you had a, a composer and a lyricist and they'd churn out these songs. And then you had people who sang and the singers didn't write songs. They sang and they performed them. Yeah. That I was, was going to say, you know? Yeah. And, and, and that's, and depending on, on, on what genre you're in or depending on, um, you know, what, what, what music scene you find yourself in, one can be more common than the other. Like if you're a folk, you know, folk singers, most of them write their own songs, yeah. but not all of them. Think about mm. how many songs Carol King wrote for other people. Oh yeah. That's mm. yeah, a great example. Yeah. Or um, like, I think about uh, people in, in the, in, in a genre, like, like, well, even well, pop music back in the day. I mean, think about, think about all the Motown stuff. Oh yeah. Those are written by the singers. <laughs> <laughs> No, they were like they were written by like songwriters, and they were yeah. just, and then they had a producer Studio on top guys. of yeah, it. You totally. know, it was, mm-hmm. and and yeah, well, and even the um, 
like, you know, Beach Boys didn't even play most of those uh, tracks. It was studio guys. And totally. they would come in and do the, you know, mm-hmm. so it's, there's nothing yeah. wrong with teaming up with people who know how to do stuff better than you do. No, no, cer- cer- certainly not. And, but, but, you know, like the, these days people tend to wear many different hats, right? So if you, if you, if you, if you partition yourself into, I'm just a songwriter or I'm just a performer, or I'm just a whatever, then, you know, unless you are, are working with other people, if you're trying to do everything yourself, then you have to be able to say, okay, I've, I've done the, the first draft inspirational version of my song. Now I need to put on my editor hat and really, and like you say, like, as if you're working with a producer. Now, what would a producer say about this song and how would they it, try to improve it? And you need to put on that hat and then you need to put on your recording engineer hat and then you need to put on your performer hat. And then, you know, like, you know, oh, a, a lot of the, a lot of the DIY stuff. It's a man with many hats. I completely understand. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I find like, like if I was like, I wouldn't drum on my own record, but I mean, I I, I have an idea about the grooves that I want and I could probably sequence it. Okay. But Mm. I'm not going to do what my drummer is going to do. I won't have the nuance that he has. You know what I mean? Um, And there are, and you were right about the songwriter thing. I mean, especially in pop music, it's, it's still industry standard that most pop singers don't write their own songs. Like I, I have a wonderful friend of mine that is a songwriter in LA that is from my town. I'm sure you're familiar with the band magic. Hmm. The, the guitar player, Mark Pelly, we've known, we've known each other since we were kids. Hmm. He's written for like Shakira and Chris Brown and all kinds of other people. Hmm. And that's, you know, that's, that's one of his skill sets is as a songwriter, he's a session guitar player, you know, obviously he has magic as a thing, but you know, he's also, and he's a producer as well. So you will find a lot, most people I know uh, in the industry, if they ended up, you know, they usually have a number of different things that they do. And then if one of those things ends up being the thing that either they're really good at or the thing that pays them the best, the it tends to be for. the one that gets worn the most or the hat that gets worn the most. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's very sure. true. So is there something that you've come um, through your own songwriting journey? Is there uh, some bit of knowledge that you wish you knew when you started? Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, there, there's probably a lot of things I could say that I wish I knew. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, the biggest thing. More than, more than anything right now, um, I would say don't be afraid to bounce your ideas off other people. A lot of the time we can get really, really invested in, 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 uh, you know, emotionally invested in the song itself. And then we're stubborn and, and refuse to change in ways that could make it better. We get locked in, so mm-hmm. to speak, um, where we're, we're unwilling. Like I remember the first session I had with Ross, we were working on my last record and he was poking and prodding this to me, but I was so uncomfortable <laughs> Because I, you know, I had had this song for two years, so I had heard it a certain way for a long time. And a lot of the time when you go into a, to the studio, unless, you know, you're somebody who's, you know, who's churning out tunes all the time regularly, um, you're used to something a certain way. It's hard to change. But sometimes you got to trust the people that you're working with and say, OK, maybe they're hearing something I'm not. Be willing to try different things. Be willing to listen to other people's opinions about things, especially people where that's their job. Like you don't have to agree about everything. Like I know there are times where I was super adamant about something and I'm really glad it ended up the way that it was. But there are other times like that pre-chorus there in a dear friend that was written in the studio. Mm -hmm. 
And then the chopping of that beat in the intro that, that happened in the studio. We got mm -hmm. into, uh, we had some great chemistry going that day. And he said, can, can you try this? And, I, and, I, and then I tried it. I was like, oh, that's perfect. And it's so subtle. You don't notice it because it feels so natural. Mm -hmm. those, those are the best special effects ones you don't notice. <laughs> totally. It's, it's, like, it's like when there's key changes that are so smooth, you don't even realize it's happened. Like there was, yeah. there was this one band I remember when I was growing up, when I, because I, like I said, I listened to a lot of proggy metal. There was this band named Candiria that had this one song that was the smoothest 7 4 I'd ever heard in my life. And mm. it was so smooth, I didn't even realize it was an odd time signature. I said, that's how you know you did it right. <laughs> that's, I've always felt that. I, like, I love a lot of outsider weird music and stuff, but, and I love complicated music, but I think it should never sound complicated like it should just sound mm -hmm. like a great piece of music you know and it's like um totally you know sales uh, uh Salisbury, Salisbury Hill? Hill yeah um you know that's in what 13 6 or something 7 4 7 4 <laughs> no it's no it's no it's not 7 4 it's, it's something 7, 4. else I promise you it's in 7 4 <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's in 7 4 now I'm gonna go listen but I'm pretty sure it's in 7 4 <laughs> it's it's in 7 4 but he does an interesting thing in the in the intro it's like 4 plus 3 and then in the and then when he hits the verse it's like 3 plus 4 or, or reverse yeah, and, and 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 there's okay, so many the ways emphasis that you can, shifts yeah. but it's still 7 4 well that's it and there's many ways that you can do that when you're doing odd because a lot of the time what odd time signature groups end up being is it feels like like two different groupings it's very rare that it feels like a single grouping all the way through yeah. like if you were to listen to mission impossible it feels like 3 and 2 right right yeah yeah well, that's, I think that's one of the reasons why Take 5 is still being played to this very day, because it is one of yeah. those odd time signatures that just grooves. Yeah, 100%. You know? And I, that's, that's, it's, 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 a really, it's a real challenge for a lot of people to listen to music that isn't groove-based. Like, we all want to move to the music. Like, most of the music I wrote in my 20s, not very groovy. It was very pattern-based, very angular, very um, sporadic, which is an acquired taste. It's not for everyone. No, certainly not. Yeah, like what I write nowadays is a heck of a lot more head nodding, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Alrighty. Um, I think yeah, I hear there's the band. band. I, think, um, I think it's all the time we have on Song Talk Radio. Special thanks to Matt Zaddy. Um, awesome stuff there, Matt. Great um, stuff, man. Uh, where, can we, where can our listeners uh, find out uh, more about your music and hear some more of your stuff? Yeah. Sure. Easiest way is just to Google Matt Zaddy. So Matt, like I expect to spell it, and Zaddy is like a daddy, but with a Z at the front. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. And when... yeah, if you go to mattzaddy.com or anything, or you search me on any platform, my name pops up real quick. Yep. And and certainly check out the show post on songtalk.ca. We, we, we will link to uh, Matt's uh, website and his other socials um, on there as well. So you can always find it there as well. Um, so we want to hear from you, our listeners. So please send in your comments, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at songtalkradio, or send us an email at feedback at songtalk.ca. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel for live performance videos and full episodes. Subscribe today to the Song Talk Radio podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And don't forget to sign up for our free newsletter at songtalk.ca. You can find links to all the products, books, and web services we mentioned on the show on our resources page on the website. And wherever you are in the world, please join us online via Zoom at our next monthly Song Talk Meetup. It's free to join on Meetup and free to attend the Meetup. Bring a song and a lyric sheet and get constructive feedback from other songwriters. Stop by songtalk.ca for the link. You can follow me at neomodi.com. You can follow Phil at philemory.ca. And and Matt, what's your what's your favorite go-to social media channel? I don't really have. I say Instagram or Facebook, one or the other. 
one or the other. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I mean, I probably spend more time on YouTube just because I want to look and listen, but um, ah. if we're actual socializing, it would be one of those two. Right on. Okay. Perfect. Um, and uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Be sure to stop by the website, songtalk.ca, to browse past shows and find out how you can be a guest. Thanks for tuning in, everyone, and keep on writing. Good night, everyone. Good night.